Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Whenever you are ready. And we are back. Kevin's Corner recording on a Tuesday morning. Kevin Bowen and Chris Presley back uh, attending a bachelor party and thought um, Eddie Garrison would be good to keep (laughs) draft related on that. So, Chris, good to have you back, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, It was fun watching the draft, even down at Gulf Shores, as you said. uh, I was down for Chris Denary, the voice of the Pacer. His son, uh, Evan, is a classmate of mine from Garen Catholic and went down for his bachelor party and like I said, I was fortunate enough that um, even though it was raining sometimes, we were able to stay in and watch the draft. So I was able to keep up with all the Colts picks. And I do enjoy uh, reading your article on the website right now in terms of what you think the Colts are going to play from rookie rookie standpoint. Yeah, that'll be kind of our big topic today. And by the way, shout out to Evan Denary, a great human being who I uh, played basketball with growing up. A great dude. So happy... Good. Good three-point shooter. Yeah, very, very good player. Um, and his father, Chris, did coach us back in the day. So <laughs> um, congrats to him and glad you enjoyed that. Uh, but, yeah, we will get into kind of – it's an annual thing we do each May, just projecting an early, early, early look at rookie playing time mm-hmm. here in 2022. Uh, today I also want to do the Luke Fickle interview. Yes. Um, Luke Fickle joined us on the morning show last week and really enjoyed that conversation. Not only Alec Pierce-related, but – Curtis Brooks related as well. So um, we'll have that on the podcast if you missed it. Again, myself and Jake Query on our morning show last week. So um, we've gotten some good feedback on some of the interviews we've thrown in there over the um, over the past couple of weeks and months. Maybe Bernard Ryman will do down the road because I really enjoyed that one. We had him on last week as well. Um, and then Twitter questions per, per usual. A little bit of a shorter podcast today. Rookie minicamp coming up this week. And so we'll have more content, um, draft-related, rookie-related, on next week's podcast. OTAs start here coming up at the end of May. So things do pick up here in the spring off-season program. Um, but, yeah, anything else, Chris, or should we get into it? No, let's just get into it. I mean, you mentioned Ryman. Let's talk about a couple other, obviously, the the first splash that we made, which the Colts do a, a very good job of um, – kind of trading back sometimes like they did this year and then again 1075thefan.com you can go read this article on the website but let's let's go through the Colts playing time for the rookies Alec Pierce is the first one let's talk about yeah and you know Chris just to kind of make sure everyone understands you know I don't know a a scale if you will with this Um, we we typically do kind of a number scale Mm -hmm. 10 would be a locked in full-time starter you know all 17 games and one would be the other end of the scale, and that's just kind of lucky to make the team. So that's that's the scale we're going to go off okay. of here. Um, I, I like to do kind of two numbers because I think there's a, there is a lot of gray area with this. I would throw Alec Pierce in the 7-8 to eight range. Um, obviously, there's plenty of playing time available behind Michael Pittman. I do think one thing we should note is his college resume and his background in general with football is a lot different than Michael Pittman. You know, Michael Pittman's the son of a – NFL running back and is a guy that, um, you know, put up some very impressive numbers at USC with multiple quarterbacks and multiple offensive coordinators. Um, Alec Pierce had the same quarterback and 
you know, didn't play a, a ton of wideout early in his career there. So basically just not as maybe not as polished or NFL ready in terms of being a without a doubt, this is a guy that is going to be a 17 game starter. I still think he can play a lot of snaps for you. Clearly, I put it at seven or eight here. And there's no adjustment needed, you would think, from a body size standpoint. You know, six three, two eleven, should right. be able to make that transition. So, given the depth chart, given what Alec Pierce can give you down the field early on, again, you got to fine tune some things. I still believe he's going to be playing a whole lot in his first season. Yeah, and it, it was fun watching, um, especially watching the way the Colts have projected. Different players, especially with their draft room, they were really happy to get Jelani Woods at two. Or, or, or I shouldn't say at two. I, yeah, I should second say round. with their second-round pick. Um, what do you think about him? Yeah, and, and I'm glad you said that. They are thrilled. You know, Chris Bauer has always had an affinity for these basketball-type tight ends. And I think back to when Frank Reich was hired in 2018, the guy that Frank said he talked about the longest in, like, the get-to-know-the-roster uh, you know, part of things was Mo Alley-Cox. And Mo Alley-Cox had yet to play an NFL game at that point. Um, but yet Ballard was so obsessed with kind of his potential and all of that. So you understand why Jelani Woods would fit into that. I'm going to put it at five to six. Okay. Um, you know, Jack Doyle opens up a whole lot of playing time with right. his absence. Um, so I think Woods could be a starter, might not be every single game, but they're going to play three tight ends. And... You know, Mo Ali Cox and Kylan Granson, yes, they're going to eat up some of that Doyle playing time, but Woods is going to help in that area as well. So um, I look at Jelani Woods as, um, you know, I don't know if you're picking him for your fantasy team necessarily, that role. I mean, certainly if Mo Ali Cox goes down, you're going to need him a lot. Uh, they do feel like he can block, you know, earlier than maybe most tight ends. You know, at Oklahoma State, we talked about in last week's podcast, you know, he did the Mark Andrews scout team role and tore up. Oklahoma State's defense getting ready for the Bedlam game. Um, that's when they're like, oh, wow, this dude needs to switch to tight end. He did. He played tight end for a couple seasons at Oklahoma State, but very small receiving numbers, mainly as a blocker. Then at Virginia last year when he transferred, that's when he showed a little bit more as a um, as a receiver. So um, I got five to six for Jelani Woods. Let's go to the offensive line. We knew we needed an offensive tackle. Didn't know where it was going to fall. Um, what do you think about Raymond? Yeah, um, so Bernard here, you know, this is a selection that I think has the most volatility in the playing time area. He could be a 17-game starter. I mean, if he beats out Matt Matt Pryor, I mean, he, right. he could be that. But if Matt Pryor is the left tackle and Danny Pinter's the right guard, and let's say, you know, Dennis Kelly, who we'll get into a little bit later, looks like the Colts are going to sign the veteran offensive tackle from Purdue. Um, that's being reported just as we record this on this Tuesday morning. You know, maybe all of a sudden Ryman is more of your seventh offensive lineman in his rookie season. So, you know, then obviously it would take some injuries to happen. So I, I'll put six to seven on this just because we know how O-line attrition happens. We know that he is still competing for a starting job. But there is a possibility that he's got kind of a quiet, you know, um, first season here. So Bernard Ryman, I, I, I think, again, no one scales more on this than, than he does. Next, we're going to go to Nick Cross, the safety out of Maryland. Um, again, if you watch the behind the scenes from the Colts draft, very happy to 
trade up to Thrilled. to to get him. <laughs> That's a guy who they they really wanted. Obviously, we have some secondary depth, but what do you think about Nick Cross? Yeah, I think I got one eye towards 2023. Okay. That's where I'm at with him. Um, now, the Julian Blackman Achilles situation, you know, keep an eye on that, certainly. We know Kari Wallace has had a couple of nagging injuries as well. Um, but with Rodney McLeod signed, I mean, you know, Chris, there's a chance that Nick Cross is mainly special teams. Now, Let's see what Gus Bradley thinks. You know, there's a Gus Bradley influence to all of this. True. And the Yanni Kangakwe and Stefan Gilmore, and we'll see if any other moves happen. Um, I'm going to put three to four for Cross, which to me is kind of like special teamer and maybe a rotational snap or two. But, right. you know, if he's your third, potentially fourth safety, I don't know. Is Bradley going to go there? Um, you know, what do you do at corner? You know, there's some position flex there. So uh, maybe I'm a hair low on cross, but I almost feel like it's got to be an injury for him to really earn consistent playing time. It is never bad to bolster your interior defensive line. Eric Johnson, we're going to go there. Um, obviously, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, right. people of those nature are going to play in front of him, but we add depth there. What do you think? Yeah, and let's just, I guess, group Eric Johnson and Curtis Brooks together here because, okay. you know, two day three picks, two defensive mm-hmm. linemen picks in the interior there. Um, I look at I look at it for Johnson, rotational role, primarily on rundowns, which there's not a lot of those. You know, they want Grover on the field for those rundowns. Um, I don't think Grover takes many of any series off. Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty durable and dependable defensive tackle at 300-plus pounds. So um, I, I don't see maybe consistent, consistent snaps at a you know 20-snap level per game for Johnson. And, yes, you know it seemed like he held up pretty well in the All-Star games, but there still is a jump in competition. I mean, mm-hmm. Missouri State schedule, you know, I don't think it's going to sell out the horseshoe or anything <laughs> like that. So um, I think you got to acknowledge that. Brooks, I'll put a hair higher. I'll go 2-3 for Johnson. I'll go 3-4 for Brooks. Right. Because I think he's a guy that has shown at a higher level in college football that pass rush element. Uh, now, still, you get to third down, DeForest Buckner, Dio Dengbo, Pay, Yannick Ngakwe, maybe Tyquan Lewis. Um, you know, it, it's just not obvious where Brooks would get those snaps, but I look at it like, Taylor Stallworth last year. No, Taylor Stallworth did a really nice job for you in, in a sub package role or just a sub role, I probably should say. Um, so I think there could be room for Brooks to creep a little bit more into that. And by the way, if you want to hear Luke Fickle gush, <laughs> wait till you hear him talk about Curtis Brooks. Yeah. Um, five defensive players for Cincinnati taken before Curtis Brooks in this year's draft, and yet. The label that Luke Fickle uses on Curtis Brooks, I think, is a reason why the Colts are like, whoa. And again, he fits in a little bit undersized. That scheme that gets upfield right away doesn't want to absorb a lot of blockers for that defensive line. It's not what Gus Bradley wants. So that's why I think Curtis Brooks fits what Indy would like to do. Yes. Two more quick before we get to that interview that you had with uh, Luke Fickle. Ogletree, the tight end out of Youngtown State, obviously. It's going to be a wait-and-see kind of a moment, but right. he, he came on late in his uh, athletic career. So Yeah, I, I would say that's a good way to put it. Um, 
I, I got at one to two. And, and I get it. The Colts are really, really high on him. But, you know, where do you put a fourth tight end? You know, can he help out on special teams? Um, I mean, those are, I think, a lot of the questions you have with Drew Ogletree there. Um, you know, Colts have three. Moelle Cox, Kylan Granson, Jelani Woods. Are you keeping an extra wide out with uncertainty there? Do you right. keep an extra running back? Um, you know, is an, is a number on, you know, the offensive line, wherever. Um, I think just kind of sifting through all of this and figuring figuring out exactly how your 53-man puzzle looks is a big, big part of it. And, you know, I'd like to think, Chris, you could sneak a Drew Ogletree to your practice squad. I mean, you know, six-round pick out of Youngstown State. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he flashes in the preseason, and maybe he can't do that. Uh, but I think that is something that could play to your benefit as well. And the last pick, obviously, a guy who went to a college that you and I could probably never get into. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I mean, probably. I, I know I couldn't. Yeah, I'm not going to take away from from your trust me. <laughs> from your academic accomplishments, but uh, Rodney Thomas. Yale product, as mm-hmm. you said. I think that is something to note because he comes from a very versatile defensive background. The Yale side of things means he's smart. Does that help him out on game day? And and maybe I'm looking too far ahead. I I thought you know well it's a seventh round pick. Well, you know seventh round pick should be just be lucky to make the roster. I'm gonna give a slight uptick than that. I'll go two to three for Rodney Thomas. Again, versatility and smarts on game day. The more positions you know, the more positions you can play, the more attractive you are. Obviously, you got to do special teams, but I think that's why I upgrade Thomas a little bit. There's linebacker background. There's safety. You know, corner talk as well. Um, and I think unlike Drew Ogletree, Rodney Thomas walks into a position room that just is a little bit more up in the air after those first couple. You know, is Stephon Gilmore an every down corner? I think that's why some of the intrigue is there with James Bradbury hitting the open market. It's one of those things where I don't think Gilmore is 17 games and 95% of the snaps week in and week out. So, um, again, seventh round pick, step up in competition. So, all of that. You got to acknowledge, but at the same time, um, it's a pretty favorable playing time situation, and he's got some background that would make you think he is capable. Yeah, and so you've mentioned—I mean, you use this reference—and people of the podcast that listen to this show every week, Christmas Day, we got these presents. That was Kevin's breakdown of what presents we are unwrapping. Fortunately, two of the presents that we're unwrapping, you get to talk to the actual coach of those players who watch watch them go through their four-year or their tenure, I should say, uh, at Cincinnati. So let's jump into Luke Fickle. Let's do that. Again, Luke Fickle with myself and uh, Jake Query, a fellow co-host on our morning show here, 7 to 10 a.m. every single morning. Uh, we had Luke Fickle on last week for those that missed it. Here he is, head coach of the Bearcats, talking Alec Pierce and Curtis Brooks. Kevin, as we talked about yesterday, you know, the good news, bad news here when it comes to Cincinnati. Bad news is the Reds. We're not going to talk about the Reds, right? Come on now. Good news. Well, I'm just saying good news is it's turned into a pipeline for the Colts to an extent. And a lot of that is because of their uh, fine head football coach, Luke Fickle, who joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline to talk about a couple of the guys that are going to be coming to West 56th by way of his Bearcats program. So first off, Coach Luke Fickle, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, A pleasure having you on. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, I want to begin with this. Before we get into the specifics of these players and what you can tell us about who the Colts are getting, 
I saw a fascinating and I think a huge credit to the Bearcat football program statistic yesterday. We talked about it on our show. Nine players drafted out of your Cincinnati football program this year. Of those nine, none of them entered your program with a ranking higher than 375, I think it was. Jerome Ford was the highest. All of them three-star or smaller. I am a huge cynic about rankings, and I get the fact that you want to play the averages there and get as many of the like four or five stars as you can, but part of that has to be some sort of a culture there at Cincinnati. So for the guys that are coming to Indianapolis out of your program, what things are you hoping were instilled in them over their time as a Bearcat? Well, I think it starts with development, and uh, more than anything, we, we kind of have those not say core values, core, everybody has core values, but they're kind of the fundamentals. Uh, we call them the cornerstones for when they walk out of the program. And those are the things that will take you anywhere. So um, good fortune is for a lot of those guys, they're, they're taking them into some NFL locker rooms for their next journey. There's some guys that, you know, are uh, going into a different journey and it might not be professional sports, um, but nonetheless, you know, we want guys that can walk out of here and understand that, you know, what a family looks like, um, you know, what what integrity looks like, uh, what an attitude looks like, what toughness looks like, and what hard work looks like. And no matter what, I would hope when they walk, you know, those guys are going to walk into that Indianapolis locker room, um, they'll be able to bring those things with them that, uh, you know, can hopefully set them apart and, and give them a great opportunity to be successful in that locker room like they were successful in our locker room. He's Luke Fickle, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats, and he's with us here on Kevin and Quarry. Luke, uh, before we get into Alec Pierce and Curtis Brooks individually, Chris Ballard told a story over the weekend about private workout that he had down there. Um, I believe Desmond Ritter, Michael Young, and Alec Pierce all involved in that workout. And he called you afterwards and just wanted to kind of talk about um, what what he saw. What do you remember about that conversation and just in general the Colts' interest in those two guys specifically who they drafted? Well, it's kind of unique that uh, you don't, I don't know, I, I guess you don't always get calls from guys after they work their guys out. And sometimes you see somebody and then you think they just kind of give you the, you know, hey, let's make you feel good. We, well, we loved your guys. and uh, But it was it was kind of crazy that um, they called after the workout, both, you know, obviously the head coach called as well and on in separate time to, to just say how much they enjoyed working with the guys and, you know, how much, you know, they thought about them, just, not just as an athlete, but what they understood about the game and their techniques and things like that. That was different for me, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, you, you get a lot of these guys that call you and just ask you about your guys, but not a whole lot of guys that give you feedback and kind of made me think like, I, I think they're a little more serious about our guys than maybe some others, maybe, maybe did a more thorough job of really spending some time with them, um, outside of just a you know pro day or you know a thirty minute workout, uh, so I, I in some ways I was like I really kind of hope we have an opportunity for some of those guys to go there, especially those guys they worked out because I think they'll know them better when they walk in the door and have a better concept and grasp at uh, you know who they are and what they're all about. You know to parlay off of that coach in terms of and you've look you've been around big time college football for a while now so you've seen and i'm sure answered plenty of questions about players and prospects can you elaborate a little further on the indianapolis colts chris ballard and frank reich in their inquiry of your players and their conversations or questions about them away from the game itself was it was it indeed more so 
than most franchises inquire in terms of the person versus the player. I, I do think so. But, you know, wh- whether it's them in particular, whether it's their scouts, I, I can tell you to a T, they both called me um, and asked some of those specific questions. But I think it's, it's one thing to ask. I, I You know, sometimes you try to, you know, to ask the head coach, but it, it's another thing to actually kind of get that insight and then spend the time, in my opinion, that they spent with them to try to piece together, okay, what is Coach Fickle telling me or what is one of the other guys telling me, you know, that that, that can I see that, that you know, the, the things. Because, you know, we're all, you know, kind of biased towards our own kids at times too. So I'm sure that, you know, they get that from everybody around the country that they're, you know, that they're studying. So I think to have the thoroughness to not just take somebody's word, but then to have those specific, whether they're individual meetings, specific workouts, spend the time, in my opinion, to try to match up, you know, what people truly told me about them, what the head coach told me about them, their character and all those things, and then to spend that amount of time with them to try to, you know, kind of put those things together to see if, you know, not that is it true, but do you also see those things in a short amount of time? Um, because, you know, let's face it. I mean, I think they're looking for a lot of the same things we're looking for and concerned about a lot of the things that we're concerned about, that not just the play on the football field, but what the makeup of that locker room is really like, because those are the things that last. Luke Fickle is with us here on Kevin Aquaria. And Luke, as we get into these, these prospects, let's start with Alec Pierce. Uh, I think the things that stand out to me that uh, I would really like about him if I were the Colts or certainly you, um, A, comes from a family of athletes, and B, this is a guy that I think brings a little bit of a defensive mind to a position we often label kind of pretty boy at, at <laughs> wideout. Um, what attracted you to him initially? Because wideout, you know, wasn't always, you know, maybe number one on that radar. No, it wasn't. And uh, he was just a multiple sport athlete out of high school. You know, a guy that played volleyball and, you know, could do a lot of different things, um, you know. And, and, yeah, we did. We loved the history. You know, the whole family, uncle played at Stanford as well, not you know, as opposed to even his dad that played at Northwestern, his mom that played volleyball at Northwestern. Um, you know, but the, the whole package, when when we really kind of dove into it, of the intelligence uh, as well as the athleticism, and when we took him, we really didn't know. You know, he played some corner, he played some safety, played wide out. Um, you know, we just said, this guy's going to be a versatile guy. We'll see what his body does as he stops playing three sports and running track and you know, kind of gets into a, a weight program and, and, you know, that next phase to his, you know, to his body changing. Um, and we did. We, we we moved him around a little bit, played him at some linebacker and was a heck of a special teams guy early. And, uh, you know, his heart and his mind were, were in it to, to develop as a wide receiver. And uh, that's where we ended up keeping him. But all those other attributes made him an incredible special teams guy. And, a, you know, not that people are going to look at, second round picks and say oh this guy's a devastating blocker but you know when you start to add those things up he is a devastating blocker and can do some great things on special teams as well okay coach a year from now you have an opportunity somebody comes to you and they say luke fickle we have a tape right here of an indianapolis colts football game that you did not see you are unaware of the results of that game and in the game your former protege alex pierce or alec pierce made a critical critical catch you have to pick it without having seen the tape yet. Did he make the catch because he ran a perfect precision route and got himself separation and thus 
caught a nice ball from Matt Ryan? Or did he make the catch because he was able to contort his body and twist himself around a defender in an eye-popping fashion? Which is the more likely reason he made a catch? Well, I hope it's a combination, but knowing that Matt's probably going to throw a really good ball um, and he's going to be played against some really good players and some great coverage, he's going to run a really good route, but it's going to come down to the strength in his hands, his ability to go up after that. You asked that question. I just walked out of a meeting where we were doing a little presentation on wide receivers and we just showed the fourth and eight play this year that was a huge comeback to Alec Pierce that he made a, a big first down catch for us. Um, so I'm going to go out and say that it was uh, you know a well-thrown ball and all that, but nonetheless, the uh, the wide receiver's job is to make that quarterback look really good, and sometimes that means contorting your body and going up and really making those contested catches when the ball might not be perfect. So he does have that ability to do both, obviously. Um, the other question is this. Can you give us a, a glimpse – into Alec Pierce in terms of the reality is coach Luke Fickle of Cincinnati's our guest. The reality is that players, especially as a rookie, especially at receiver can kind of hit that rookie wall and it can become perhaps mentally challenging. What, what is to, to what you've been able to observe the mental strength or psyche of Alec Pierce? Well, it's intelligence to start with. I mean, the guy graduated from an engineering program. that's really hard uh, in three and a half years. And they, there's no, I mean, there's, there's internships they got to do in the summer. I mean, the intelligence um, is not going to be, you know, a thing that's going to ever be lacking with him. So his ability to pick up an offense, pick up the new things that they're asking to do. Uh, we all, <clears throat> we all know that you're going to see at the pro game, some different coverages and, and a lot of different things in the back end, And that's where he's going to excel so much more. I think even at the next level than, than it was in college, because you know, there's so many more things that you need to be able to do and react to on the fly. And his intelligence is going to give him that opportunity. And, and he's such a pro that, you know, that wall that I, I know a lot of freshmen in college hit, I'm sure a lot of rookies in the NFL hit with the length of the season. Um, those guys that, you know, that are really intelligent, that can handle all the things that are off the field as well in a new journey of their life, they, they don't get wore out. Um, from the you know the stress and the length of a season, so I think that's where he's going to be able to to excel even at a young age because he's so mature, so intelligent, and such a pro. Coach, before we let you go, I do want to ask you about Curtis Brooks. Um, albeit it was a ten minute Zoom interview, but I felt some swagger and intensity from him, <laughs> and, and a bit of a chip in the fact that he fell that far. It seems like even though he's undersized, this is a dude that can really fit what what the Colts are changing up with their defensive line. Well, he is an explosive kid. I mean, we, we asked him to play nose guard for us in, in a zero technique and a lot of things. And, you know, um, so he did it for the team. And, and he might not have made statistically as many plays as people look down at the stat sheet and say, but if you ask me who our, you know, most valuable player on defense was, I, I would tell you Curtis Brooks, you know, what he did up front, um, dominating the, the middle of our defense. Because, you know, for us, we got to be strong down the middle. And uh, he is dynamic, he is explosive. And uh, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, does. He plays like a lot of our guys with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder in the sense that regardless if they were a two, three, or whatever star guy, that um, there's a lot in there that uh, I think is, is going to be able to be seen. Is there any concern, Coach, that – or is it realistic, I guess, for me as a media person to look at this and say, you know, here are a couple of guys that, that did – 
overcome the odds at Cincinnati and, and prove people wrong and, and really set a tone and a message about who they are. Is And then I think to myself, I wonder if there will be complacency now. They've gotten the draft. They've heard their name. They get that contract. Is there any chance that either of these guys has it in them to say, I- I'm good? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, again, th- those are those are steps that I think is always one of those things. I'm not a guy that's sit here and say no way, never. And, you know, it's kind of like when they say, why, how are you still there? I'm like, well, I can't say no way, never. I'm never going to, you know, be, be moving on. But there are guys that are intrinsically motivated. Um, we talked about it here. Don't, don't, you know, just be chasing that next step for the, for the money or, or to say I'm in the NFL, because those things don't last. And to a T Curtis Brooks, the guy who came back for that, this extra year, this past year, because he wasn't happy and satisfied. He didn't want you know, his last opportunity to be maybe some free agent chance that he had, and, and he knew he had much more in the tank. And uh, that showed a lot to me as a coach that this kid really has a, a love for the game and not just what the game brings. And um, I think the same thing with Alec Pierce. He's such a high-end kid that, you know, he, he there's nothing average or nothing mediocre about him. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be satisfied with, you know, any bit of just going to the next level. Um so that's why I think both of them have a really high ceiling to continue to to grow, um, you know. And like I always say, hey, don't change who you are and, and how you've done these things. And I really don't believe that those will be guys that uh, that will change anything that they've done. Coach, I do have to sneak in one more. Curtis Brooks, MVP of your defense. You had five defenders drafted before him. Sauce Gardner, of course, went very, very early. Why do you say that Curtis Brooks is the MVP of your defense? Well, I'm a former nose guard myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, the guys that don't get any credit. Um, and, and for us, you know, yes, there's a lot of notoriety out there on the outsides with the number four player taken and the Thorpe winner. But to me, it all starts down the middle and it all starts inside. And he dominated the line of scrimmage. He created havoc in all that we, we have done and made a lot of people around him look better. And, um, you know, it, it takes an unselfish guy to, to – see those all those things around him happening be really you know grateful for the opportunities and what he's doing and keep pushing and being better and that's what I could say about Curtis Brooks you know from where he was even two years ago that um, he understood that hey this this is a there's a big scheme to this thing you know so I I praise those guys that you know don't have to be the ones that names are being called and uh, they're so valuable to what it is that we've done um so for me, that's he's my MVP on the defense. Listen, the third highest number of draftees in this year's draft for the Cincinnati football program was that a little bit of redemption's maybe the wrong word for Luke Fickle, but is that a little bit of you saying, "Look, I don't have to go to Columbus, I don't have to go to Tuscaloosa, to I don't have to go to Clemson to build myself a big time football program. I can do it right here in Cincinnati, Ohio." Is there a little bit of that that comes into play? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I I like to believe I'm a lot like these guys with a little bit of chip on the shoulder, and you know, want to do things our way and and continue to build. And um, so it, it's it's great when all of a sudden some of those things you've been selling and those dreams you've been talking about can be seen a little bit more and they become a little bit more of a reality, um, you know, for for a lot of us. Uh, so I kind of I kind of embrace myself into the same type of guys that we've got here that. These are the guys that uh, don't think they have to have a, a different logo or one of those blue blood programs um, to take themselves to the next level and to, to make to leave a legacy. And uh, I think 
I'm a lot like these guys, and I think that's why we kind of mesh really well together. Lastly, Coach, for either of these two players the Colts are getting, and Alec Pierce, Curtis Brooks, was there a moment for either one of them that you can recall where you walked out onto the practice field or maybe it was in a game where the light really switched in your head and you had the epiphany, this guy's going to help a pro football franchise someday? What was that moment for either guy? Well, I think I think Alec. I always thought that you know he had the ability, and and I thought that you know he he's a guy that can go up and get the ball and have some dynamic you know big play catches. But um, I think it was maybe even Notre Dame this year when you know all the hype and everything that was you know around the season and things like that. That I thought Alec showed something that I didn't know. You know, not that I didn't know, but I wasn't sure. Like if this guy's going to be a real NFL pro dude when it's when it means the most, he's going to be at his best, have to be at his best. And uh, I think after that game in particular, I, I started to say, wow, I think that uh, this guy's got a ceiling higher and, and not just an athlete. I think he's an actual football player that's going to be a great NFL player. Um, and then Curtis, you know, having a, having a kind of, I'm going to say a subpar year before, meaning he was hurt. Um, I think it was, to, to be honest with you, after watching the, the Alabama game, to be honest, uh, not that I didn't think he had an opportunity and had some explosion, but after going back and studying the Alabama game, which, you know, obviously we didn't win. And some people would say, well, you got dominated. And the thing you worry about is, you know, what it's most important up, up front. And they ran the football on us. And, and after actually watching that game and seeing how well he played, and I wish we would have played him 98% of the snaps, maybe instead of, you know, 55% of the snaps. That's when I said, you know what? there's no difference between this guy and um, any of those guys that are going to be going on the draft. He has the ability, the explosion, the power, um, especially even more in a, in a different defense where he's not playing just head up on a nose guard two gap and that uh, he's going to be a heck of an NFL football player and create some havoc. You know, Jake, as a diehard Notre Dame fan, I, I must admit, uh, every time Desmond Ritter dropped back in that game, I thought, throw it to anybody but number 12. <laughs> Literally anybody but number 12. Unfortunately, he threw it to Alec Pierce a lot, for my sake, uh, and he completed a lot of balls there, and uh, it was a tremendous win hey, for Cincinnati. Coach, Kevin's, Kevin's admitting he was rooting against you. Can you believe well, that? I, I, I mean, I, he I, waited until the end what, of the I interview. You notice that, right? We want all them to. We want a lot of them to root against. So I that. <laughs> Save that to the end, so yeah. I didn't uh, didn't cut anything short on you there. Well, uh, coach, now you have a lot of fans in this state based off Alec Pierce and Curtis Brooks in Bloomington and South Bend this past year. You did not have a lot of fans with either of those two victories. A hell of a season, hell of a draft. Uh, I know Indiana comes to your place this coming year, so we'll look forward to that one. And I really appreciate you making time for us. Anytime, guys. We got we got a lot of uh, good players from over there as well. So you'll you'll continue to recognize those names. So please continue to watch a little bit there. You bet. <laughs> Safe travels up seventy four when you're doing some recruiting here, and uh, good luck this season. We will. Thank you very much. All right. Hope you enjoyed that again, Luke Fickle, right there with us. Um, you can see why, Chris. Mm -hmm. Cincinnati's got to the level where they're at. I thought the Pierce. And the Brooks stuff, both very insightful. Um, the other element to this is, and someone actually messaged me after we had Fickle on last week on the radio show, going, if Frank Reich retired tomorrow, where would Luke Fickle be on Chris Boward's list? 
I think he'd be pretty high. I think he would be high. As I well. think he'd be really high. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's several NFL GMs that would say something similar. But I think the Mike Vrabel success, I think, is kind of intriguing to some people as well. Um, so yeah, that is uh, Luke Fickle. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, thanks for throwing that in there, Chris. Just well educate. I mean, I enjoyed listening to you and Jake interview him. He and he seems like such a down to earth. They're football guys, right? Yeah. And he's a football guy. He he has that nice balance of being that, but I think also you know can relate certainly on more of a common level. Um, and Alex Pearson, Curtis Brooks, and and their other draftees. I mm-hmm. mean, where they were taken. I know Jake kind of asked him some of those questions about you know two star rankings and three star rankings and their program development. Absolutely huge uh, by Luke Fickle and the Bearcats. Um, all right, let's let's, uh, let's do Twitter Twitter questions. Yeah, let's get in Twitter questions. All right, so Sammy D. Kevin only has a Twitter because he wants to ask you questions. Whoa, Sammy! <laughs> let's go. Thank you for that. That boy. That I need to add that to the LinkedIn. <laughs> How much cap space do you have? Do we have available, and do we have enough to go after James Bradbury, the cornerback that's on the market right now? And also, which free agent wide receiver would you like to see the Colts sign? Okay, let's start with the first. About, I want to say it's like 13-ish million okay. in cap space. I would think that would be, I would hope that would be enough. Um, you could you could make it work. You know, it would be, it'd put you in a very tight position for the Colts and their precedent, but you could make it work. Um, I'd look into Bradbury, and, and, and I talked about it earlier. How much can you rely on Stephon Gilmore on a, every snap, four-quarter, week-in, week-out basis. You know, projecting his medicals, I think, is a big part of it. Now, what I'd be curious about the Colts, kind of two things. I'm assuming Bradbury's going to want a multi-year deal. Mm -hmm. That means you're paying Kenny Moore multi-year money, you're paying Stephon Gilmore multi-year money, and then James Bradbury multi-year money. That is super unlike the Colts. The other point, Gus Bradley influence. I mean, Bradbury's probably known as more of a man corner. Um, is that going to be there? I mean, I, I still think it's a lot of cover three. Now, is there man stuff within that? Um, does that mean that the Colts are now more willing to spend on corner than they were under Matt Eberflus? You know, I think these are all things that anytime you have a new coordinator and a system change, there's a learning process. And we're kind of doing that right now with Bradley. Um if you watched, and you said you did, Chris, the final episode of With the Next Pick, mm-hmm. you saw right before they go home Thursday night and get ready for, at the time, pick 42 to start the second round for them, Chris Boward rattles off a couple positions of need. Ironically, I believe the four of them he rattled off ended up being the next four picks. Wide out, tight end, left tackle, safety. The other position he threw in there was corner. So if corner was a need in their minds at 42, it clearly is still a need now. Rodney Thomas is the only corner, and that was on on you know in, in the seventh round. So um, that I think is something of like I, I feel like corner they'd be willing to spend there. Uh, now you probably have to answer a couple of other questions. Are you spending a backup quarterback? Are you going after Nick Foles? You know I, I think that's something you got to keep an eye out as far as wideout. Again, I, I'd bring back T.Y. You know, I hear this debate about T.Y. or Julio. At some point, you just can't have a room with all power forwards. 
you know, some point you, you you need to diversify that room. And again, Paris Campbell is a hope. And so that's where I kind of stand there. You know, a free agent wideout that I saw his name out there. You know who I wouldn't mind seeing back here. What about Chester Rogers? Hey. Bring him in here, a little little, little camp body. I thought I thought Chester did a nice job at times. Obviously you'd like to upgrade more, but there's not a lot there. I mean, Jarvis Landry, I, yeah, I, again, I don't really know what you're doing of significance there at um, at wideout. Isn't that crazy to see how people um, – the evolution of a, of a certain skill set? Oh, that, that we would say we would like T.Y. Hilton over Julio Jones. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not always fantasy football. Like, yeah, that's what, a little what, different conversation. Like, what fits your scheme, right? 2015. But, yeah, I, I – think you pointed out because you know Alec Pierce the question is kind of all right how great of a route runner is he on some of that underneath stuff the intermediate stuff you know right. kind of the quicker you know twitch stuff if you will obviously Alec Pierce does things that um, are hard to teach and high pointing the ball and there's just such a comfort when you watch Alec Pierce high point it find it and come down with it that T.Y. Hilton probably doesn't have in his game um so yeah yeah, well, if you don't mind, Kevin, let's go there because we have a question from Charlie about Alec Pierce. Do you think by the end of the year he will be wide receiver one over Michael Pittman Jr.? Oh, boy, that's that's a little slap in the face of Michael Pittman, right. to be honest with you. Um, Again, I go back to what I said earlier. I, You know, you kind of forget Michael Pittman exiting college and Alec Pierce exiting college where they were at. Um, you know, could you make the argument that Pierce has a higher ceiling? I I don't know. I, I I think we're kind of taking some jabs at at Pittman w- 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 with that. Um, it is wild though when you sit back and I think about a veteran being added right now, Chris. You know who the longest tenured Colts skill player is. So we're talking running back, wideout, or tight end. Hines. Believe it's Mo Alley Cox. Really. Uh, now, he kind of had that pseudo-redshirt year right. coming out of VCU. Then you get into Taylor, Hines. Um, I believe the oldest wideout is Kiki Kuti. And I want to say he's 25. I mean, it is a young, young yes, yes, room. Yeah. And I get Reggie Wayne and all of that, but you know, at some point, Chris, I, I just think you could use one more voice. And sure, Matt Ryan can offset a lot of that, but... You know how receivers can get, you know. That's a diva position. You know, I just think T.Y., you know, welcoming him, uh, by no means am I acting like he's 800 yards and six touchdowns, but I think that would be something to look into. So, obviously, okay, let's let's jump to the other side of the ball and a guy who was obviously the captain on that side, Darius Leonard, the ankle issues. What do you think about that? We have a question from Austin wondering – how much you're concerned about his ankle issue? Yeah, and I assume Austin is referencing the press conference last week where Darius talked about his ankle, mentioned how he's had two cleanups or two surgeries, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I think it's something to watch. I mean, he says he's in a much better shape than he was in, physical you know, shape than he was in last year, ankle-wise. I don't mean, like, his weight or anything like that. But I think we have to remember with Leonard, it's how he plays the game, Chris. You know, he plays the game with, such an explosive ability, such a lateral movement ability. Um, speed is huge. And that nagging ankle at times, geez, man, it looked like he was getting sniped almost. You know, it was just like, 
gosh, what, what what happened? And then other times you're like, well, there's a dude leading the league in turnovers. Um, and he was very open about the mental toll and some off-the-field stuff, but I think the injury as well, that kind of weighed on him last season. You know, when you look at injuries right now in the offseason, obviously Paris Campbell, it, it's always going to kind of be lingering. Um, you don't have a lot right now. Julian Blackman, of course, w- with the Achilles. But Leonard just, again, something to watch. Right. Here's a fun one from Colton. Jelani Woods, he came into college as a quarterback. Is there any time that we put him on a goal line situation, kind of like we saw with Sam Ellinger last year? Do we put him in as quarterback and see what he can do to punch in the ball? Hey, now, 6'7", 250 coming at you. Right. Yeah. You think – how about uh, Bernard Ryman catching passes? Wasn't he a tight yeah. end at Central Michigan there? That was another thing. It's like Ryman, Pinter. Like we we like going after these linemen that have this yeah. the certain skill set, right? Footwork, the athlete, the soccer yeah. background for Ryman. Um, you know, Colton. I I think it's funny you mentioned that. First off, yes, I'm all in. Secondly, the Colts do believe Jelani Woods can again move really well, and I think. You know, in Ryman's case, they feel like the short arms can be offset because he's such a good athlete. So he doesn't need to rely on grabbing and, and, you know, kind of a desperation of like, no, his footwork is so good. They feel like he puts himself in the right position to where he doesn't need a a huge wingspan. With Woods, I think a little bit of the quarterback, you know, background from a footwork standpoint, uh, they really feel like he can move and run, has lost some weight or kind of uh, redistributed some of that weight there as well. I guess I'll mention while it's on my mind, again, it sounds like the Colts are bringing in Dennis Kelly. I look at it as, you know, just can he be a better Sam Tevye or Julian Davenport? Right. Right tackles, most most of the background in the NFL, so I don't view him as, like, open starting job over left tackle. Um, but that's how I kind of view it. And, again, you needed quality and you needed quantity at tackle entering the draft. So, um, totally good with the Kelly move. Question from an avid listener, Gary. He wants to know, he was listening to the Ryan Rosillo podcast with Matt Ryan, talking about Peyton Manning, the decision also with Jim Mersey. Where do you rank him on the scale with uh, where Chris Ballard finds him? Peyton's. Peyton and Ballard? Yes. Um, And, like, their relationship? Yes, yeah. Um... Boy, Peyton and Ballard, that's interesting. Um, you know, Peyton and Ursay, I've always thought this. You know, he's, you know, I think in Ursay's eyes, they're much closer than maybe they are in Peyton's eyes. You know, I think Peyton still has an appreciation for him in different aspects, but at the end of the day, he did cut the guy. Um, sure. Yeah, I think there's a level of respect there, certainly. Yeah, I, I, I don't know super, super close, but I think there's a pretty good level of respect. And I think the Matt Ryan opinion or the Frank Reich opinion, I think, came from Peyton at various points, so, yeah. Yeah, he said Feliz Cinco de Mayo, which has already passed, but I hope you did have a good Cinco de Mayo. I don't know if you guys ordered in uh, any Mexican food or went out. but Yeah, uh, I was Maddie in town. I'm trying to think she was in Boston last week. I think I got some Mexican food. Yeah, we had a nice little Cinco de Mayo. I didn't throw back any tequila shots or anything. (laughs) Little chips and salsa, nothing wrong there. From Steven, he would like to know, would you trade Paris Campbell for Kondarius Tony straight up, and is that a reasonable trade? Boy, <laughs> I don't think Kondarius Tony's meeting the Colts character standard. I, yeah. um, <laughs> Sure, Steven. It's just so hard with Campbell. Yeah. You know, it's just, 
what can you rely on? It's the hardest situation. No injury history in college. And, again, I feel like Campbell has shown me something in the NFL. But, Chris, if we were in a debate class, you'd say, Kevin, he has 360 career receiving yards in 15 games. And I'd be like, God, is it really that small? You know, so when he has been on the field, it hasn't even been, you know, that notable of production either. Let's go to a question from Joel. We got three more. He's got a two-parter here. Good afternoon, Kevin, uh, which actually is about to be almost afternoon. Was on the slide. Was the slide on the quarterbacks in this draft an indicament of the draft class not being franchise quarterback material, lack of need across the league for a quarterback, or some combination of both? Do you think the Colts entertain drafting a quarterback, or once it started to slide, they let off? If so, which quarterback would you have drafted and what pick would have been used? Yeah, I, um, boy, I, I, I do think it's probably more of an indication of this draft class in general. I mean, look how f- mm-hmm. far they fell. You know, I, I kind of like Matt, Matt Corral a little bit there. Um, but, you know, again, I, I get why um, there was some hesitancy. Um, they had interest in Desmond Ritter. You know, I, I, I know that. I mean, right. part of that working out. Of Pierce was, you know, to work out Ritter for sure. So I think there is some definite interest there. And part of, I mean, the second question, which I didn't get to, what do you think about Jack Cohn? And and yeah. you would know him better than most people. Yeah, I think Cohn's a nice camp arm. Um, you know, should help you again evaluate your position a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I, I I totally fine with it. Don't think he's. I think they love Ellinger. So I, I think Ellinger. Right now would be the backup. We'll see if they make a veteran move. Trevor wants to know: Is Paris Campbell even worth keeping on? Uh, even worth keeping a roster spot for the season, considering his inability to stay healthy? I think you try. You know, you try. He's not, you know, making an absurd amount of money by any means, but um, I think you see if he can stay healthy. Of course, um, it's not like you've got a bunch of other guys that he's all of a sudden taking up roster spots. You can, you know, have the extra spots on the practice squad and whatnot. So. Yeah, I, I don't look at it as some like serious financial burden in keeping him um, around right now. The last question comes from Cody, and just like we talked about Darius Leonard earlier, opposite side of the ball, a, a captain for the Colts, Quentin Nelson. Cody wants to know, he saw a hype video. Do you know if he's 100% healthy or how many surgeries he might have had this offseason? Yeah, I don't. I haven't heard anything on that front. I believe he had a much healthier offseason. I do think on the surgery standpoint, Chris, leverage. What does that do to these contract talks? Um, I think that is a big part of it. If I'm the Colts, I'm trying to hammer that point home, and I think that could change a little bit of that asking price. But, yeah, I think Nelson, much healthier offseason than last year. All right, Kevin. That is all we have for Twitter questions this week. Again, I'm I'm super excited after the draft, and I'm, I can't wait to look forward to what we have as we approach training camp. As always, man, 1075thefan.com mm-hmm. has some content there, so I appreciate you back in the saddle. I hope you guys enjoyed the Luke Fickle interview. We'll get more into the draft, kind of the nitty break, breakdown, a little bit of Chris Bauer behind the scenes as well coming up next week, so we'll do that on the podcast. Everybody have a great week. Belated happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. And glad the month of May is treating us well weather-wise. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.